You're listening to episode 76 of the Journey to Launch podcast, how we can find strength, truth, and joy in our relationship with money with Lynn Twist. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Today, I have a special guest. You know, I say every guest is special and I mean it. Today, I'm going to be talking to Lynn Twist. Lynn Twist, for over 40 years, has been a recognized global visionary committed to alleviating poverty, ending world hunger, and supporting social justice and environmental sustainability. She's an acclaimed author, and her compelling stories and life experiences inspired Lynn to write her best-selling award-winning book, The Soul of Money, Transforming Your Relationship with Money and Life. She's also shared the stage with some very influential thought leaders, including Oprah Winfrey, Marianne Williamson, Deepak Chopra, and I could go on and on, actually. So I wanted Lynn on the podcast today because I like to approach money then more than just the paper bills and the dollar signs that go in and out of our hands and the account. And it's deeper than that. I know money itself has a deeper connection to us. And so when I actually heard Lynn on the Oprah Winfrey podcast, I said, I need to get Lynn on the show. I want her to talk about this to my community, to you, how we can recognize our connection, our spiritual and soul connection to money. We're going to hop into Lynn's overall background. We're going to talk about the overall guiding principles of her book, The Soul of Money. So how can we find strength, truth, and joy in our relationship with money? And how can we absolve the labels that we are given and that we label and put on ourselves that stop us from being more resourceful and productive? And how can we reclaim our wealth and our inner resources so I'm really excited to bring you the interview. Before we hop in, this is episode 76. So if you want the show notes, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 76. Also, at the end of the podcast, I'll be reading a journeyer review of the week. So that's for you. If you let the podcast review in Apple Podcasts, that's that purple app on your iPhone, I'm going to be leaving a review. So if you want to hear your review possibly read, then please also, if you listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe. And of course, please just tell a friend and tell a friend, you know, I always say this, give this as a gift. This is a free gift, a free resource to help you on your financial independence journey. Follow me on all social media as Journey to Launch. I'm there on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And remember, the Journey to Launch Club, I am accepting members. So come join me. That's at journeytolaunch.com slash launch club. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey, Journeyers, I'm really excited to bring to you this conversation, which I know will be amazing because it's talking about something that I think we need to talk more about in this journey to financial independence. And that's just living wholeheartedly and earning, spending, just living with money and feeling good about it. And that's because I'm talking to Lynn Twist who is an acclaimed author, speaker, and has done amazing things in the space of global leadership and citizenship. So Lynn Twist, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And you are the author of The Soul of Money. And it's something that I read and I actually saw you on Oprah. I listened to when you actually was, were on Oprah, watched the show and then listened to the podcast. And I thought, wow, this is a conversation that we should talk about more because how do we live a life in which we're not just looking for the numbers? So, you know, looking to attain and gain as much money as possible, but how do we do that, but live in a way in which our soul is fulfilled? So that's what I wanted to talk about with you. So thanks for coming on. My pleasure. All right. So let's get down into it. You have a lot of experience with this concept with these thoughts about living a wholehearted life. Now, can you explain what the soul of money is? I know people who initially hear it is like money doesn't have a soul, right? But that's not what you're talking about. Talk about what it really means to live a life and understand the soul of money. Well, the soul of money title 
of both my institute, uh, the Soul of Money Institute and the book, is a little bit of a kind of catching your attention, hopefully. But money does not have a soul. We all know that. But we do. And we created money. Money is not something that is part of the natural world. Money does not grow on trees and pennies do not fall from heaven. It actually is our creation. We created it 4,500 years ago for the purpose of ensuring that everyone in the village or the community or the region where we were living 4,500 years ago had everything that they needed. So it's our creation. It's like water. Even the water is God's creation or the creation of the, of the natural world. It's a carrier. Money is a carrier. And that's why it's called a currency. It's a current. And it runs through every single life. And just like water, if it's purified, if it's clean, if it's moving, it can cleanse, it can purify, it can make things grow, it can nourish. Or if it's toxic or carrying bad intentions, just like water, when it's toxic, it can make people sick, it can kill, it can destroy, it can maim. And so money is like that. It's what the imprimatur we put on it, how we earn it, how we spend it, how we save it, how we invest it has enormous consequences for us and for the world. And money is a carrier of those intentions. And when it's philanthropic, for example, if money's designed to do good, it carries that energy with it. If it's money that's moved along from the space of love and commitment and courage and responsibility, then it does that kind of work. But when it's filled with greed and avarice and jealousy and trying to destroy rather than uplift, it does that. So money doesn't have a soul, but we do. And when we connect our soul and our money, rather than having them be so separate, we start to live a more balanced, a more integrated, a more courageous, a more loving, a more thoughtful, and a more holistic life, and one that's much more fulfilling. So it doesn't have as much to do with how much money we have in the conversation you're having with me right now, but the way we earn, spend, invest, give, and save money has enormous impacts, not only on us, but on the world in which we live. Mm, and I can't wait to get into how we can put into use anyone listening this life of where we feel wholehearted living with money. But can you talk a little bit about what first inspired you to dive deeper into this concept and these thoughts around money? What first prompted you to start really digging deep? Well, I was very, very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time when something called The Hunger Project was born. And The Hunger Project is an organization, a very large organization, actually a movement now. But when it began, I was in the right place, as I say, at the right time, and I was lucky enough to be in the beginning of it. And The Hunger Project is about ending world hunger, not only alleviating suffering, not merely redistributing the resources on this planet, but actually ending hunger as an integrity issue, an issue that reflects the lack of integrity in the human family, that we would allow a billion people to be, or 800 million people, most of them children under five, to be hungry all the time in a world that's awash with food, where food waste is one of the number one problems on earth. And so it's an integrity issue in our relationship with each other and with ourselves. And that's the way the Hunger Project started. And I was so inspired by that, so moved by that, that I became deeply involved in the Hunger Project. And then that took me to the places where people are living in resource-poor conditions and are living in conditions of hunger, like Sub-Saharan Africa, Ethiopia, Ghana, Senegal, Namibia, uh, Guinea-Bissau, Zambia, Zimbabwe, places like that, and India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Nepal. And I really worked shoulder to shoulder with the courageous people living in the conditions of poverty and hunger. And I realized there's nothing poor about these people. These people are whole and complete people, often so unbelievably inspiring and courageous. You can hardly, hardly believe that they get through a day with the kind of courage it takes to live with very few resources and feed your kids and make things work. And so I end up with tremendous admiration for them, seeing them as whole and complete people rather than people who I would never call them poor again. It's their circumstances that are poor. 
But in order to do that work, and in order to do that work, it was necessary and is necessary to raise money. So raising money, and raising money in a way that was dignifying the people living in conditions of hunger rather than making people feel sorry for them, became the commitment of my life to garner financial resources for the work of ending hunger, but not garner them in a way that we held up starving babies and made people feel obligated or shameful, but rather in a way that we saw that these are our brothers and sisters. They're courageous. There's so much to learn from them. It's not a billion people who are hungry that we need to feed. No, it's a billion people who stand on the front lines of ending world hunger who are courageous and brave and smart and ingenious and have incredible relationships with one another. And we have the privilege to stand with them and join them in ending hunger on this planet. And so that ethic, that way of looking at it became the model for our fundraising. And I ended up raising money all over this planet from some of the most wealthy people on this planet, people of enormous wealth, and also people just like you and me who want to make a difference with our money. And so from managing fundraising operations in 57 countries, including countries like Ethiopia, where we actually did raise money there so that people would know that they had money and that they could contribute, even people who you and I would have called people who don't have the extra resources, contributed to ending world hunger financially, people in India and people in Japan and Sweden and France and Germany and the United States. So I learned a lot about people's relationship with money through fundraising, philanthropy, and working on hunger. Right. So beautiful. I love how you mentioned, Lynn, that there's a difference between someone's circumstances being poor and then themselves being poor. And I think that actually provides someone to feel really empowered, no matter of their situation. And you've seen it. Like you said, you've been to all parts of this world and you've seen real hunger. And it's by seeing that it it has allowed you to have this perspective that I think we all benefit from and we kind of know also inherently is that money is just a tool. It doesn't like define who we are. And it's now our job in this lifetime to figure out how we use this tool to live our best life. Exactly. Exactly. It really woke me up. The labels that we use for people are inaccurate. So to call people poor people or to label yourself poor demeans you, demeans those of us who would use those labels or to call someone rich does the same thing because it says that you are your financial circumstances and you're not your financial circumstances. You're a whole and complete person living in the ebb and flow of financial circumstances, in some cases dire and not adequate, in some cases excessive and you're flooded with resources and it makes you crazy. So we are not our financial resources. And when we label ourselves by our financial resources, these are poor people, these are rich people, we can't relate to each other as fully whole and complete human beings with hopes and dreams and talents and treasures. The real treasure is who you are. The real treasure is your well-being, your ingenuity, your capabilities, your love for the world. And so many people that I used to call poor, people starving in Ethiopia after the 1984-85 famine, when I got to know them, they were some of the most amazing people I've ever known in my life exhibiting more courage to live through a day than I'll need in my lifetime, and their ingenuity. And maybe they didn't know how to read or write, but that's because they never went to school. They had incredible intelligence. And I have many stories about people like that, but I realized that those labels make us not see each other. It's the same thing, of course, with Republican, Democrat, or any other kind of label, or labels that we put on each other, our other's ethnicity and race. It's so unfortunate, these labels. And the label of rich and poor is just as unfortunate and really blocks us from relating to each other authentically. I really love that. And what do you say, though, for people who do feel restricted by money and their circumstances and say that, well, like taking off that label, sure, I can take it off, but other people still see me that way and treat me accordingly. So how do you break past that? The world operates in that way individually, we want to change that narrative, but how do we operate in a world that doesn't seem to want to change that narrative yet? Well, I have a lot of compassion for all of us because we're all in that situation. I mean, there's nobody who escapes it. 
because the world community, the society we live in, mostly what I call the scarcity culture or the cultural condition around money has everybody looking at more or less rather than the wholeness of who they are. And it's painful. And I can't change everybody else, but I can change my perception of myself. And I can shape the space around me by my relationship with myself, by my confidence, giving myself permission to be fully who I am. And eventually the space around you and the relationships around you start to reflect that. But it really starts with who you are. So, for example, there's a story in my book, you may remember, of a woman named Gertrude who really educated me when I went to a meeting in Harlem in her church basement. And she said to me, my name is Gertrude, and I'm committed to ending world hunger, and I do people's wash. I don't have a bank account. I don't have a credit card, but I have money. And she didn't say, I don't have much money. She said, I have money, because she does. In fact, I have $50 in my purse. And I want to contribute it to ending world hunger. And it comes with my love, my commitment, my intentionality, and my courage to be part of what I know is a great organization, the great movement on this planet. And she walked up the aisle of the church basement and gave me her $50. And her $50, I say, had as much power to end world hunger as $50,000 from someone else because it's the intentionality that goes with the money that gives it its power, particularly in the arena of contribution. Obviously, there are many of us, I count myself to be one of them, who have anxieties and upsets and feel wrong and stretched and scared in our relationship with money. That is normal if you're that way. You're normal. Even people with massive resources are terrified that the stock market's going to go down a quarter of a point. So it really isn't so much how much or how little you have. It's really your relationship with what you have is where I can be helpful. And when you're grateful for what you have, even if it's modest, like she was, it has power for you. And if you're in touch with the gifts and treasures that you possess that aren't financial, that are way, way, way more valuable than what you have in your bank account or what you have in your pocket. That recalibrates the way you live your life. And then money becomes in the background rather than the foreground, even though it's really important to earn it. And it's really important to have enough of it that you live well. And it's really important to set yourself on a career path where you can take care of yourself and your family. But the obscene accumulation of money on this planet right now has confused us. And the people who end up in those circumstances, I can tell you because I've met with them, I've worked with them, obviously life is easier for them in many ways. But at the same time, they're very deeply troubled and often highly dysfunctional people with enormous problems. A lot more money than you need can amplify the baggage you have in your psyche can amplify the problems you have rather than resolve them. So I just want people to have some sense of the fact that having more money isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. We all would benefit from that. At the same time, it doesn't resolve everything. And so our culture of scarcity, our culture of consumerism, our culture of making us think we absolutely must have more of everything eclipses the enoughness the wholeness, the completeness of who we are and has us not look at our inner riches, but only focus on our outer riches. And that's really a mistake. And focusing only on outer riches or lack of them can't ever get you the kind of satisfaction, fulfillment that each of us really wants. Mm -hmm. So it almost makes it as equally important, more important than getting enough money to provide for your family and for yourself and to reach your financial goals, all that technical stuff, like the budgets and where to invest, like that's fine. But it is equally or more important to focus on understanding and be feeling whole without that. Because once you do, it's like the catch 22 where you have someone listening and saying, well, I don't have that and I don't feel that. Therefore, I'm not going to reach my goals. Or saying, you know what, in spite not having that, or because I don't have that, I'm actually able to be more resourceful and have more gratitude for what is, which then allows you to then 
think abundantly, think creatively, and actually then reach your goals because you're approaching life and your money from a different mindset. Right. And then your money really is an asset because you realize your real assets are you. And then this is an additional asset. I had a woman who came to me who was in massive credit card debt. She was just desperate. She couldn't pay her rent. She couldn't take care of her kids. She was a single mom. She was just in horrible financial shape. Her credit card debt, I don't even want to say the number, but it was thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. And when she came to me, she was her debt. In other words, she wasn't there. She was her debt. She had taken on that, almost like that personality, almost like that's who she had become. And she wanted me to help her. And the first thing we did was I told her to go out into the world in the next seven days. There was a week between our meetings and appreciate and acknowledge every single person she came across. Now, this is sounds like an odd thing to do, but let me just explain this story. So I said, when you're in the grocery store, thank the person at the checkout counter or give them some appreciation. If you like their hair, say so. Or if you're interested in what that necklace is that they're wearing, say so. When you pick up your cleaning, say something to the people there who cleaned your clothes of your appreciation of the fact that the job they do. When you're on the bus, thank the bus driver for his cheery attitude, if it is cheery. Find a way to acknowledge, celebrate, honor every single person who crosses your path. And do that for seven days. Do the best you can with that. And so she came back. It was a Monday, the first meeting. She came back the next Monday and she was there. I'll call her name Carol. That wasn't her real name. There was Carol and her debt rather than Carol debt. Rather than all Carol was her debt the first week. The second week, she came back and she was upbeat. Her face was brighter and she was there. There was Carol who had debt. So then there was someone to work with on the debt. Mm. It wasn't collapsed. And so then we began a program to reduce her debt. And she got it. It took her two years, but she got completely out of debt and now is in good shape. Wow. But we had to establish that she wasn't that. Yeah. And I think it goes both ways. So whether that's you're not your debt and you're also not the million dollars you have either in the bank, you're not defined by how much money you have. And I think it's interesting because I was reading your book and you talked about how you also, when you came to this realization yourself that not only from your acts of doing all this amazing stuff around the world, but you in your personal life also had a realization that your values or what you thought was important to you was not lining up with the way you spent your time and your money. Can we just talk about that and then what your realization was and what it came to be? Yeah. And I'll just underline before I do that, your point that I have worked with and continue to work with people who have millions and millions of dollars and they think they are their trust fund or they are their stock price or they are their bonus. Then if anything happens to their bonus or their stock price or their inheritance, they go completely crazy because they've lost their identity. So it works the other way too. But I'll just say, I got caught in that myself. My husband was very successful now by today's standards, it would be called modest. But at that time in the 80s, he became very successful very fast financially after he got out of business school. And we had more money than we were ready for, I could say. And we started thinking, well, God, we should know about wine. We liked drinking wine, but we didn't care whether it was white or red. (laughs) We didn't really know about wine. So then we thought, well, we have to know about wine. We have to really understand wine. We have to know about these different kinds and this different house of wine, French wine. Oh, we can't go to Yosemite anymore, camping. No, we have to go to France or we have to go to Italy or we have to go to Europe. We need to collect art. We got totally into this thing where we were all about the status that comes with the money. We couldn't have a Volkswagen. We had to have a BMW. We went crazy and we lost our center and we lost our way, I would say. Now, all of those things aren't bad. I love wine now. I love art. I love a good car. I don't mean that that stuff was bad. It was that we were not authentically engaging with any of that. We were doing it because we thought we should, because that's what people with money do. And it was fake. It was false. And when you're building a false self or a false image, it creates so much tension and so much stress and so much anxiety because you're focused on how you look rather than who you are. And who you are is always waiting for your attention. And who you really are 
is always a place of calm. It's always a place of no stress. It's always a place of calm and perfection and wholeness and completeness. And so that whole episode of our lives, we weren't spending enough time with our kids. We were trying to be out and about at every party, at every this, at every that, on every trip. And I realized we'd lost it. And I was lucky enough to take the EST training. The old EST training has now turned into something called the Landmark Forum, which I highly recommend is the successor to the EST training. And it was the beginning of the human potential movement. It was a fantastic wake-up call for me. And in the S training, which is now called Landmark, I realized who I am is not all this stuff. It's not all the person I'm trying to be. It's, it's just me. And I have my own talents and treasures. I have gifts. I'm unique. And I became engaged with the contribution I could make to the world rather than what I could take from the world. And it became no more about my life starring me but became about my life has been given to me and how am I going to use it to make the world a better place? And I began engaging in service, in being of use. And that's when the Hunger Project was born. And I was there so that I could be part of that. And it really transformed my life. And now I work with Indigenous peoples of the Amazon with the Pachamama Lions who didn't even know money existed. They have everything they need in the Amazon, everything they need right around them. And they don't have any possessions. They don't even understand or want ownership of anything. And they used to say to us, people outside of the Amazon are so nutty about this thing called money. What is it? You can't hunt for it. You can't eat it. Why would you want it? And it really woke me up to the fact that we've become so obsessed with money. Instead of a medium of exchange, it's become the purpose, the be-all, the end-all. And we're so dysfunctionally oriented towards it, that we can't remember who we are. And I went through a whole process of discovering myself so that I now know that the life I have is a life I've been given. It's a gift and it's a blessing. And it's my privilege to now use that life to make a difference that benefits all people. And that really led me to the life I have now, which is 10,000 times more satisfying than the life I was chasing. Mm, right. You talked about the inner resources and wealth that we all have within us. Mm-hmm. How does one, if they feel kind of lost at this point, they're listening to this and they realize, you know what, I'm not happy with the way I have a relationship with money or how I earn money. How can they reclaim that relationship? How can they take control back and find the inner wealth in themselves? Well, I think reading The Soul of Money, I hope is helpful. It was to you. It, it's helpful to most people. So reading it online or getting the book itself, I think would be helpful. Secondly, even though you might be totally stressed about money, to put your money woes aside just for the moment and do an audit of your assets that are not financial and really step into the gratefulness for the assets you have. If you have an apartment, even if you're homeless, you have a place, your puppy dog, your favorite things, your intelligence, your love for people. Do kind of an audit. It can be silent. It can be written down of the people that love you and the people that you love to really pay attention to what's working about your life, to give that some attention, what you love about your life, the gifts and talents and treasures that you have, the friends you have, the books you love, how you love to cook, or you make a really great jambalaya, or the sweater that when you put it on, you feel so cozy. So actually take an audit of what's working about your life and what you're grateful for. I call it the exercise of the great fullness of your life, the great fullness of your life. And spend some time really auditing that. It's really good to do it with another person. And step into the great fullness of your life because what you appreciate will appreciate. What you appreciate will appreciate. Appreciation and gratitude creates more of itself. And what you're grateful for will grow in the nourishment of your gratitude. And then you can do that with money. Suppose you have a very modest salary. Supposing you're one of today's best teachers and you don't get paid very much, but you do get paid. And that money that you get for your service to those children to really pay attention to how 
important it is that you are compensated and be so grateful for that compensation rather than complaining about that it's not enough all the time. Now, that's important when you're in a strike or when you're in a negotiation. But when you're not, be grateful for what you do receive and really allow yourself to receive it. Really allow yourself to receive it. And that it comes from, let's say if you're a teacher or if you're working for a company or if you're working for the state, it comes from people's generosity, actually. People's generosity make the economy move. So gratefulness is a huge part of healing our hurt and our anxiety around money. And then to find a way to make a difference with your talent, your treasure, your love for the world. Now, if you can have a job that does that, that is the best of all things. But if your job or your current job does not provide that or you don't have a job, volunteer. Do something that makes someone else feel better. Do hospice work. Work in a food bank. Do something where you're contributing. Because when you're contributing, you recognize your enoughness. When you're sharing, you recognize your enoughness. When you're serving, you're rooted in your enoughness. So those give you an experience of the fullness and completeness and wholeness and depth of yourself. From there, you can build your financial strength, not from scarcity, not from neediness, but from the wholeness and completeness of who you are. And from there, you can begin to build authentically, without cutting corners, without being desperate, your financial strengths in whatever profession or job or work that you do. Hmm, That's beautiful. And I love the fact that by tapping into what you can give and provide for others. So volunteering, obviously amazing. You should, but even if it's through like a business, right? But you know that you are giving with the intention of making someone's life better and providing help and you get in exchange like money for that. And I love how you framed if it's not something that you're able to do with your full-time job or what you do for a living, you can do that on the side or on the weekends or somewhere where you're supplementing maybe what's lacking throughout your life on a day-to-day basis. You're supplementing it not only with the giving attitude, but also you can supplement it money-wise too, which then helps feed the cycle of I'm giving back into the world, I'm thinking abundantly, and then therefore more things will come to me. And you can do that in any job that you already have also. Just like Carol acknowledging every single person who came across her path for seven days, why that gave her herself back was because she was contributing to other people. And when you're contributing to other people, you're in touch with your own wholeness. Not in comparison to them, but you're just, you're a person who can give because you are overflowing with your own wholeness. There was once a bus driver in Chicago that We just used to love to get on his bus because he was a really beautiful African-American man. He was kind of an oversized character. He was kind of a jolly soul. And when you get on his bus, whether it was a a snowstorm or sleet or rain or sunshine or whatever it was, you get on his bus. He said, well, how are you this morning? Welcome to the happiest bus in Chicago. And every single person who got on that bus had a better day because of that guy. And I don't think his compensation was very much. Maybe it was. I don't know. I hope it was. But he made that job wonderful for himself and everybody who crossed his path. And you can do that. And for him, his job was an opportunity to express the richness of life. So he became more and more nourished himself by sharing his good mood. I totally have come across people who were in service-based industries, whether that's maybe a waiter or a bus driver or maybe someone who is like a housekeeper or whatever, because I recently stayed at a hotel. And when someone is pleasant and so happy to be doing a job and you feel that energy, I always take notice and it automatically puts me in a better mood, even if I'm not in a good mood. And I say to myself, wow, this person is meant to give their service in the world in that way. The least I can do now is take that and pay it forward. And hopefully make someone else feel better or put a smile on someone's face just by being grateful and happy and pleasant. Yeah, absolutely. Being happy is a very important contribution. And when you can realize that, that it's not so much about you and it's nice to be happy, but just being happy, declaring your happiness. And I also recommend talking about what you love and saying it out loud 
like I love being on your podcast. I love talking to you. I love that you're in New York. I love that you met me through Vicki Robin, who I love. I love that we're talking about money and hopefully I love that we might be helpful to people. So I say as many times as I can in a day, things that I love and saying it makes a huge difference. It shapes the space in which you're living. When you say to someone, how are you? And they say, not bad. How about when you ask someone, how are you? And you say, you know what? I'm having such a wonderful day. Thank you for asking. I just love this kind of weather. It's raining today and it makes me feel so cozy in my home. Or it's just so much richer to interact with someone who actually talks about what they love. And you can always find something that you love. You can always find something that you love to talk about, to speak about. And when you say it out loud, language and conversation has huge power. I have this assertion that we don't really live in our lives. We live in the conversation we have about our lives. We don't live in our jobs. We live in the conversation we have about our jobs. We don't live in our country. We live in the conversation we have about our country. And the conversation we have about our country, the conversation we have about our jobs, the conversation we have about our marriage, the conversation we have about our day, that's totally malleable. We are omnipotent over that conversation. We're not omnipotent over our country or over our marriage or over our job, but we are omnipotent, all powerful over the conversation we have about that. And that's where we live. And so it's not Pollyanna. It's actually how do you empower yourself? Even if you're doing a job that's temporary that you don't like, you can have a conversation about it. I'm so grateful to have this extra work For this period of time between the job that I had before, which I've left, and I'm grateful that I had it, but it wasn't right for me, and the job that I will get, my dream job, which I know is on the way, I'm so grateful to have this interim work. I'm happy to be making a difference in this company, even though this is not a fit for me. So you can always, you can always generate a conversation authentically that empowers you. And so that's another thing I recommend is looking to see what you love and saying so. Mm, Yes, yes. Love that. And as you're talking, I'm thinking how important this is for people who are in this movement on the journey to better their finances, pay off debt and someday reach financial independence. Because what can happen is and it actually happened to me is that as you start, as you become aware of these goals that you want to hit. Sometimes it almost seemed for me, at least, was like a gift and a curse in the sense that I felt like this huge gift of realizing that I can accomplish this goal of possibly walking away from a job that I wasn't in love with to do things that I was more excited about. Like, I'm excited about that. I'm happy. But then it kind of puts you in a place where, wait a second, that's going to take some years to accomplish. And then when you look at your current circumstance and it doesn't quite fit up to or match what it is you want to be doing, there's a tendency to kind of become unsettled and unhappy. And I find that for me, I've always tried to look at the best of my situation. So even when I had a crazy long commute going to work, or I was away for long periods of time for my family, I looked at all the benefits that came from it. And so people would ask me like, how is it that you commute that far or you're able to do everything you're doing? And I try to always reach for the positives. But what I find a lot is that people get very uncomfortable and sometimes unhappy on this journey to financial independence because it kind of puts a spotlight on what they don't have because they're trying to reach for the things they want. And so I think it's so important for people on this journey to become happy. It's about the journey. It's not about this end point of reaching your million dollar, five million, whatever number you need to feel independent. It's about the journey to reach that. And what good is that journey if you're miserable, unhappy, or ungrateful on it? Exactly. Yeah. That is so beautiful what you're saying. There's a wonderful exercise that we sometimes do where you draw the river of your life. And you think of life like a river. And if you've ever been river rafting, there's rapids, there's deep, deep, deep pools, there's whirlpools, there's rocks, there's twists and turns, there's waterfalls. And that's life. It is a river and it twists and turns and it's deep and it's shallow. There's waterfalls and there's obstacles, but you get through them, you get over them. Even a huge boulder doesn't stop a river. A river finds its way around a huge boulder. And we do too. We do too as human beings. We find our way around the big boulders. We find our way over a waterfall and we survive. We can learn to love the rapids that are scary and confronting. 
and we can take time to be in a deep pool where we ground and rediscover the deep soul that is who we are. So it's all part of the deal. And rather than there's tragedies and things that are terrible, there's breakdowns, which are always the seeds of a breakthrough, if you can see it that way. And it's very important, I think, to recognize progress. So to take the ground when you make progress. So for example, in the FIRE movement, financial independence, it is a goal, yes, but every step you take towards that there's progress, there's consciousness, there's things you realize that you didn't realize before. You're playing with a much, much wider and broader set of facts and information. Even embarking, if people listening, it's their first minute in the FIRE movement, that you've joined the FIRE movement says so much about you. So honor and own and take the ground for all your accomplishments because you stand on the shoulders of what you've already accomplished to do the next thing. And the setbacks can be the fodder for a breakthrough. Oh my gosh, I love that. This is what I talk about all the time for people because everyone joins at a different point on their journey. You could be joining and you have a great income and maybe you're kind of cutting back expenses so you're able to kind of hit away at your goals quicker. Maybe you're coming into this and realizing that you have a lot of debt. You didn't know a lot and you feel like, oh my goodness, how am I get to any of these goals that I set? And I always say the little goals, the big goals, sure, they matter, but just starting like you say, you putting one foot in front of the other is something you should be so proud of yourself for doing. So I love that you framed it in that way. And I'm sure someone listening to this right now, I hope that they feel confirmation that they're on the right path, that it's okay, no matter what their circumstances, that they're in a good place. Yeah. And also that it's really important to stay in the community of support Because once we have an insight or a breakthrough or even begin a journey, if you do it all by yourself, if you're one of those people that can, good for you. But most people need a community, a community of support to hold them to account, to support them when they're down, to be held in a space that serves and supports your new commitments. Because what you're doing is you're pulling yourself out of old circumstances into a whole new set of a reality. And it takes a village to do that for everybody. It's not weak to have a circle of support. It's a sign of strength to have a circle of support. So stay in touch with the community and keep getting information that empowers you like the podcast we're doing right now. Mm, Yeah. And that's the great thing about the internet nowadays is that you can connect with so many people that you wouldn't otherwise know or meet in person and you can share stories and be inspired by people from different walks of life all over the world. Yeah, there's such a power in community. And the FIRE movement, everything that Vicky's contributing to it, and I'm sure what you are, is a really beautiful thing that people are thinking that way in these times. I just love it. I'm really deeply inspired by it. And it is a sign that people know that sufficiency and enoughness, which is sort of the theme of the Soul of Money book, is always there. It's, it's not a destination. It's where you're starting. And it's always there. And when you're in touch with your enoughness, your sufficiency, it's the portal of sufficiency and enoughness that actually will lead you to abundance, not the portal of more. The portal of more, or at least the crazy scarcity, fear portal of more, makes you think that you're not enough and you absolutely have to have more all the time. And once you get more, then you'll eventually lead to lack. And then you want more again. And then that leads to lack. And then you want more again. But if you can enter the realm of sufficiency or the house of sufficiency or the experience of sufficiency, it overflows into natural abundance, into natural abundance from the appreciation and recognition and nourishment of what's already there. Yeah. Traveling on this journey, but feeling like, oh yeah, when I get to that end point in five years, that's when I'll be happy. It's not the way to go about it. It's not the way to do it because within that time frame, you're going to be unhappy, only looking at the negative things. And then like you said, in our beginning of this conversation, when you reach that number, when you reach that amount, it doesn't make all your problems go away or it doesn't make the fact you have all this money now, things are just automatically better. It's probably more amplified, whatever it is that was holding you back and making you unhappy. So I encourage everyone listening to find the joy in the journey. And for a lot of people, some of the sticking point is, well, you know, maybe I don't enjoy my job, 
But a lot of what you're saying, Lynn, about appreciating the fact that you even have a job and using your talents and shining through regardless will help you start to cultivate more happiness on the path. Right. And also, if you can be appreciative of the job you have, even if you don't like it, then it creates a space for the next thing to come to you. If we turn our complaints into commitments, that really changes the game of our life. Oh, I love that. Turn our complaints into commitments. Love that. Transform your complaints into a commitment. Because when you're complaining about something, there's always a commitment underneath that. And if you transform your complaint into a commitment, that's what every NGO really is. Every non-governmental organization or every cause is really people's complaint transformed into commitment. And they don't have time to complain anymore because they're committed to resolving the things they were upset about. Mm -hmm. So for example, if I am complaining about the traffic. Every time I go down this road or I take this path, it takes me forever. There's too much cars on the road. I'm complaining about maybe my commute. So how can I turn that into a commitment? Well, I would say that then you can be one of the people who encourages and organizes carpools, who gets an electric car that goes in the special lane, or that you start using mass transit, or you be one of the people who's working to get more mass transit in your community that you work on transforming it rather than complaining about it. Mm, Love that. Love that. Now, Lynn, people are going to want to know more about what you're up to. I know you're still doing a lot of amazing work in the world. Can you just share about what you're working on now and then where people can find you? Okay. Well, I'll start with they can find us at the Soul of Money Institute, and that's soulofmoney.org, S-O-U-L-O-F-M-O-N-E-Y.org.org. And we have online courses that are very inexpensive. We have a course called The Money Course. We also have in-person workshops, Fundraising from the Heart, The Soul of Money is another workshop. And we do keynotes. Uh, When I say we, it's also with my colleague, Sarah Vetter. And then I'm also very involved in, as is Sarah Vetter, the Pachamama Alliance. And also we have educational transformational programs all over the world in 82 countries. And you can go to Pachamama.org. And then we have communities, communities of Pachamama Alliance people all over the world. So you can find out where there's a community near you. And I'm so glad you asked. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Lynn, thank you so much for sharing all this wonderful information and knowledge. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful to talk to you. And thank you for the work you're doing and the FIRE movement and having a podcast about money that I hope serves people in their quest to know that how much money they have or don't have is not who they are. Who they are is rich, deep, and full, and whole, and delicious, and amazing. And then there's money, and money is either something you want more of or something that supports what you have already going on. But it's not the be-all, end-all, and yes, we do want to have money in our lives, and we want to make a difference with it. So thank you so much yourself for the work you're doing, the leadership you're providing, and the service that you're making available to people. What a way to end it. Thanks, Lynn. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lynn. I really do believe that instead of money being something that controls us and is a negative pain point in our lives, we can turn that around to find power within not just money, but within ourselves to then be able to use money to our benefit, to rise up above the construct that it will run your life. So I want you to view it as you have control over it. And how do you create a healthy relationship with that? So really encourage you to dive deeper in some of the concepts that Lynn and I talked about and to check out the book, The Soul of Money. So again, episode show notes can be found at journeytolaunch.com slash episode 76. As always, share with your family and friends. Hashtag Journey to Launch on social media. So that way you can also connect with other journeyers and then at me, Journey to Launch, so I can see what you thought of the episode. Share it with me at Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also join the Facebook community at journeytolaunch.com slash community. So as I mentioned, the doors for the Launch Club, they are open. This is my premier membership community for journeyers who are wanting to take their finances and life to the next level. So it's where you can come get community support, extra 
content from the podcast and just resources and tools to reach your goals. Actually, we had our launch kickoff party last week. So much fun. We got to meet each other, share goals. And of course, like anything we record in the launch club, you can watch at whatever time works for you if you can't join live calls. I actually have on Takaya. She's coming on. Takaya was from episode 69. She was a single mom who went from $100,000 in debt to $500,000 in savings. So she was on episode 69 of the podcast. She's coming back on this week to do a live Q&A so we can dig deeper into her story. And I can't wait for that. And so in general, if you are loving the content for the podcast, if it has changed your life, if you love just being a journeyer, this launch club takes it to the next level. So I hope you can join us there. You can go to Journey to Launch dot com slash launch club to learn more and I hope to see you inside and let's get into the journeyer review of the week so Shalane G believe that's a woman says I've listened to other personal finance podcasts however none of them really made me feel like I could ever attain the goals they spoke about Jamila and her guests break things down to seem like a fire lifestyle is for everyone as long as they make it a priority. Jamila's podcast and valuable advice has actually led me to make changes with my finances and lead me on a better financial journey. Thank you so much for your podcast, Jamila. You have made a genuine difference with my finances and my life. Oh, thank you so much, Shalan. I really appreciate that review. And let me tell you, I read every single one. It really keeps me motivated. It actually helps people. So when they look up this podcast on Apple Podcasts and they see that there are ratings and reviews, it makes people stop, makes them check it out. So this helps with discoverability, helping to get the podcast out there. So if you are listening to Apple Podcasts, leave that review. And even if you're not totally fine, you can listen to this on your Android phone. You can listen to this on YouTube. You can practically listen to this podcast wherever. And you know what? I appreciate you wherever you listen. So once again, I'll see you next Wednesday with a brand new episode. So until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journey to launch.